Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The FBI arrests a 21-year-old airman at the center of a catastrophic intelligence leak. There was no need whatsoever for him to have access to finished products from the joint staff or from the CIA operations center. A Missouri judge threatens teachers with massive penalties for rejecting woke dogma. People who come to court and assert their rights shouldn't be punished to the tune of over a quarter of a million dollars. An arrest is made in connection to the killing of Cash App founder Bob Lee. We'll have to learn obviously more about you know what went into this. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, April 14th. I'm Mike Scott. On Thursday, FBI agents arrested Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Douglas Teixeira at a home in Massachusetts connected with a trove of classified documents that have been leaked online in recent months. Today, the Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Reporter Kelly Meyer tells us the details of what is currently known about this investigation. The suspected leaker of a trove of top-secret government documents under arrest tonight. The FBI taking into custody 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira at his home. Attorney General Merrick Garland says Teixeira was taken into custody without incident. Teixeira is enlisted in the 102nd Intelligence Wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. He was said to be the leader of the private online group Thug Shaker Central, where the documents were reportedly posted originally. Members say they called Teixeira the, quote, OG. Members of the group telling the Washington Post that he just meant to, quote, keep us in the loop by sharing the documents. One 17-year-old member of the group telling the New York Times, quote, this guy was a Christian, anti-war, just wanted to inform some of his friends about what's going on. But the leaks, officials say, were intentional. Meyer explains that the Pentagon is calling this a criminal investigation. Tonight, the Pentagon tight-lipped on details of what they say is now a criminal investigation. We pressed the Pentagon on why such a young airman had access to such highly classified intelligence. And if he's charged with something like violation of the Espionage Act, he could face up to 10 years in prison. And for the other members of that group that either looked at these documents or maybe shared them, they're unlikely to face prosecution. Reports are suggesting that Teixeira had security clearance and access to classified documents. The leaked documents mainly concern Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but also include intelligence on China, the Middle East, Israel's spy agency Mossad, and other world leaders. Mark Esper, the former U.S. Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump, 
says that the leaked documents show that U.S. intelligence agencies need to limit access to classified documents. How does a 21-year-old get access? And look, a problem that DOD has is there's over-distribution of this type of material. And uh, while he may have had the clearances, that doesn't mean he needed to have access to the information. So this is one of the things that DOD needs to do is tighten up who gets access to these documents. While Teixeira's job required him to have some security clearance, Esper says there was no need for him to have access to the documents that he apparently had in his possession. What little reporting we know is, is that he, he worked, obviously, for this intelligence wing as a part of the Air Force, and that he was a technician on classified communications gear. When you're doing that type of work, you do need to have a security clearance, but that doesn't mean you should have access to, to secure classified information. And that's what needs to be closed up because there's, there was no need whatsoever for him to have access to finished products from the Joint Staff or from the CIA Operations Center. Absolutely no need whatsoever. The former Secretary of Defense is warning that the leaked documents will have a real-world impact. Clearly, a lot of signals intelligence was revealed and exposed. And I, I think the immediate impact there is it will affect our access to the Russian uh, military and intelligence networks and understanding what Moscow is trying to do. So, look, there are immediate real world impacts here uh, with both the war in Ukraine and with our allies around the globe. While there are some things that can be fixed in the wake of the leak, Esper worries that some lines of intel have now been permanently shut down to the detriment of the U.S. government. Yeah, well, first and foremost, we don't know the scope and scale of the release yet. So I think we need to understand exactly what he put out there. And then the second thing I want to know was why did he do it? And was he working with somebody else? And I, I, I hope there was no foreign influence here. But look, on some of the releases, you know, information about um, Ukrainian ammunition, that's damaging, but we can fix that by providing them more ammunition. The bigger harm is if we talked about Ukrainian operational plans, and even worse, as I mentioned earlier, that we had access to Russian intelligence and the military networks. They'll close that up pretty quickly if they're smart, and then we won't have that information available for our own, for our own security and the security of our allies. Esper goes on to say that it's important for Congress to investigate the leak, but also the DOD needs to limit who has access to classified information. That's a you know uh, important oversight role by Congress to get to the bottom of that. I'm, I'm sure Secretary Austin and Chairman Milley are doing the same right now. I think the, the most important thing is to get from him um, information about the scale and scope of the release of information he made and find out was he working with anybody else. And then we can do the digging and the fixing. I mean, uh, clearly at this point, we need to close the loop. We need to reduce the number of people that have, have access to this information and then really work hard on insider threat technologies that can help us determine if somebody is accessing information when they shouldn't be. Teixeira is expected to make his first court appearance sometime on Friday, according to sources with the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Massachusetts. Could North Korea now have a solid-fuel, long-range missile capable of hitting the United States? Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer tries to answer that puzzling question. North Korea says it has tested a newly developed intercontinental ballistic missile, or ICBM, intended to target the mainland U.S. 
North Korea's state media says its recent weapons test involved a new long-range missile powered by solid propellants, which it described as the most powerful piece of its growing nuclear arsenal targeting the United States and U.S. allies in Asia. An ICBM with built-in solid propellants would be easier to move and hide and could be fired more quickly, reducing the opportunities for opponents to detect and counter the launch. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Parents and teachers battling school boards and school districts have made headlines over the past year and now. Two teachers in Missouri are finding themselves at the center of a fight that may cost them nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Teachers Brooke Henderson and Jennifer Lumley filed the First Amendment suit against the district in the summer of 2021, alleging that the anti-racism training forces employees to discuss their place on an oppression matrix, advocate for changes in political, economic, and social life, and disclose personal details that they wish to keep private. According to court filings, the two teachers who are challenging the constitutionality of anti-racism training that's being imposed by the school district are being ordered to pay $313,000 in school district legal fees. The teachers' lawyers say the ruling is, quote, meant to scare off future lawsuits by parents and teachers, end quote. The judgment in favor of the district cited a total lack of injury on the part of the teachers. That may suggest a groundlessness, according to the judge, that trivializes the important work of the federal judiciary. Attorneys for the teachers released a statement saying, quote, If the Eighth Circuit upholds the ruling, teachers and parents will have no check against unlimited government power to violate free speech and equal protection rights. And they will be punished if they attempt to do so through the courts. Braden Busak, the director of litigation at the Southeastern Legal Foundation, joined the Daybreak Insider podcast and lays out the case his firm is taking on. We represented two educators in Springfield, Missouri, who in the fall of 2020 were were forced to undergo mandatory equity and anti-racism training. And during this training, they were actually told that they had a duty to commit to becoming anti-racist, which was defined as social, political, and economic change. They were also forced to uh, acknowledge that colorblindness is a form of white supremacy and that as white people, they were born as privileged oppressors. They were forced to engage in all sorts of seeking exercises, like watching a video of George Floyd dying. And then afterwards, they were supposed to sit around and talk about uh, their responses to this. And at the end of it, they were asked to engage in a writing exercise where they were told where they were supposed to explain what steps they would take to commit to becoming an anti-racist. So they challenged it in federal court under First Amendment grounds. Not only did they lose, but uh, the school district went after them for over a quarter of a million dollars in attorney's fees. Busak explains that while the school district has every right to adhere to whatever ideology they want, they can't force it on their employees. The the school district's response to this was that... uh, you know, they were objecting to this on the basis that they just didn't want to hear something that they didn't want to hear, which is, of course, not true. The district has every right to promote its message, but what it can't do is try to pressure its employees into adopting 
particular ideology under their guise as employer. Um, but, you know, uh, the court thought that uh, the school district was right and uh, thought that the money would be better spent in schools. And, you know, the, the tragedy here is that the importance of the civil rights laws is that they exist to protect access to the courts and promote civil rights. That's their main purpose. The director of litigation points out some of the more egregious things that SLF's clients were allegedly forced to agree with. They were told that America was a land that was founded on white supremacy and that white supremacy is just an all-encompassing term for the reality in which we live. They were given a chart that mapped out things that should be considered to be as white supremacy. And alongside of things such as like lynching and the KKK were concepts such as colorblindness or saying that all lives matter. They were handed a chart that told them that uh, within various categories of race, sex, and gender, there are people who are oppressed and people who are oppressors and people who are in between. And of course, on that very chart, white people were denoted as privileged oppressors. They were also given an identity matrix that asked them, you know, where they fell in terms of their gender and their religion and their ideology. And they were supposed to use that tool to map what sort of privileges they have. It really was pretty egregious stuff. Busak lays out the next step for their SLF clients. We've already appealed to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and we're working on a brief as we speak. We're, we're really hopeful that this is going to get a lot of engagement and a lot of support from like-minded people across the country. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with uh, our views on whether or not anti-racism is a good or a bad thing. Regardless of your views on that, we should all agree that people who come to court and assert their rights shouldn't be punished to the tune of over a quarter of a million dollars. The Daybreak Insider would like to thank Mr. Busak for joining us. If you would like to know more or help the Southeastern Legal Foundation, visit them at their website, slfliberty.org. Or follow them on Twitter at SLF underscore Liberty or at Brandon Busek. Senator Dianne Feinstein is asked to be temporarily replaced on the Judiciary Committee so as not to slow up judicial confirmations while she recovers from a case of shingles. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has the very latest on the health concerns swirling around the California Democrat. The 89-year-old Feinstein said last month she was hospitalized after being diagnosed with shingles. Her prolonged absence during recovery has prompted calls from some Democrats that Feinstein resign, as her absence has left Democrats in the Judiciary Committee unable to advance controversial Biden nominees. Now, Feinstein says she's asked Majority Leader Charles Schumer to arrange for the Senate to allow another Democratic senator to serve in her committee seat until she's able to return. Bob Agner reporting. Momeni is a 38-year-old man and an owner of an IT business. Momeni was arrested Thursday in connection with the murder of Cash App founder Bob Lee in San Francisco. And we reached out to the San Francisco police to confirm this report that first appeared in the Mission Local. But apparently the killer, according to this report, works in tech and is a man familiar with Bob Lee. Apparently 
They were in a car together, and that's when the stabbing happened, according to the Mission Local. Now, the report indicates that the man was arrested in the Bay Area. Now, just to remind you, Lee was killed last week. Investigators say they were called out to San Francisco's Embarcadero waterfront around 2.30 a.m. last Tuesday. That's when they found Lee, who had been stabbed. Medics tried to save him, but Lee later died at the hospital. Bob Lee's father, Rick Lee, had wrote on Facebook that he basically had lost his best friend. According to police reports, Lee was stabbed to death in San Francisco early in the morning on April 4th. Soon afterward, many news outlets surmised the attack was random, indicative of the spike in crime in the California city. However, police say that while the exact nature of their acquaintance is unsure, Momeni and Lee did know each other. The Hills' Robbie Suave says that while there is still more to learn from the ongoing investigation, the arrest revelation shows that many news outlets should be more careful about leaping to conclusions. Well, I mean, it goes to show you should always wait for, you know, more sure. facts before just just opining. Um, it's a it's a it's an odd situation. Yeah, honestly, even even as presented for a for a, a stabbing in a car involving people who know each other. Um, so we'll have to learn, obviously, more about, you know, what went into this, who this guy is. It's, you know, was there drugs involved? Was there a psychiatric issue, et cetera? But, uh, yes, it, it, it is interesting because of how much people pounced. Lee was the former chief technology officer of Square who helped launch Cash App. He later joined MobileCoin, a cryptocurrency and digital payments startup, in 2021 as its chief product officer. Delta Airlines has reported a $363 million loss for the first quarter. Daybreak Insider's John Scott has more. It's because of much higher spending on labor and fuel. That's overshadowing a sharp rise in revenue. Delta says the second quarter will be better. It's predicting a larger-than-expected profit in the April through June period, which includes the start of the key summer travel season. Delta is the first big U.S. airline to report first-quarter numbers. Airlines are getting a tailwind from strong demand and limited flights, which together are pushing fares higher. But investors are worried about a slowdown in airline bookings compared with this time last year. John Scott reporting. The controversial owner of an iconic NFL franchise has agreed to sell his team to another pro sports mogul. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider sports correspondent, Gethin Kulbaugh. A person with knowledge of the situation tells the Associated Press that a group led by Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails, and including Magic Johnson, has an agreement in principle to buy the Washington Commanders from longtime owner Dan Snyder. Harris and Rails are set to pay $6 billion for the storied NFL franchise. It's the most money a professional sports franchise in North America has ever been sold for. Harris would own a controlling stake in teams in three of the four major North American pro sports leagues. He and David Blitzer have owned the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers since 2011 and the NHL's New Jersey Devils since 2013. I'm Gethin Coolbaugh. And finally, the movie based off Nintendo's flagship franchise, the Super Mario Brothers, is officially a major box office hit since its premiere last week. 
The flick is the highest grossing animated film of all time, achieving several other records along the way. Level up. The Super Mario Brothers are doing so. The animated blockbuster film took home more than $200 million here in the U.S. and more than 350, or $375 million globally just in its opening weekend. Reports say the film walked away with over $375 million in sales in its first five days, surpassing Frozen 2 as the top opening animated film premiere globally. That includes a $206 million domestic haul. Overseas, the movie has earned over $173 million. Eric Davis, the managing editor of Fandango, lays out what he believes has contributed to the movie's success. Demand on Fandango is through the roof this past weekend, and I really think it's a perfect storm of there just not being an animated movie in theaters since, I think, December, when that Puss in Boots movie came out, and then also the multi-generational sort of attraction of Mario. You know, I played the game. My first gaming system was Nintendo, right? So you have all of these eras of Mario. They're all in the movie, so no matter what age you are, Mm -hmm. you can access something. I think that's why it's so approachable. Davis explains why Hollywood is so enamored with remakes and familiar properties like Super Mario Brothers. Familiar IP is always something that Hollywood is looking for, but especially now in terms of wanting franchises, wanting familiarity out there, multi-generational Barbie, same thing, Dungeons and Dragons, same thing. PlayStation has a Gran Turismo movie coming out in August, which is also has an interesting way that it accesses that character because it's based on a real guy that played the game and then became uh, a real-life race car driver. So, you know, different approaches to these. There's also a fatal attraction remix refresh series that's out as well so yeah all of these different kind of remakes requels refreshes if you will but really it's that multi-generational when you can tap into that over an expanded period of time you have a winner the other records smashed by the super mario brothers are the highest grossing film of 2023 the best opening of any video game film ever biggest five-day premiere ever and also the largest IMAX opening weekend of all time, $21.6 million globally. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 